This week's parsha is Parshas Vayikra. So we start a brand new Sefer in Vayikra. And it's exciting. Whenever you have a new start to something, it's exciting. Now, granted, it's not the start of Sefer Bereshis and Shemais, which is, I guess, in most people's minds, really exciting because these are very, very interesting Yisaitistika stories and uh, the Abbas and Briasa Ailam and history, Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Kriyas Yamsuf, that's all true. But Vayikra also presents opportunities to be inspired. And even though on the surface it seems a little cut and dry and it seems very uh, antiquated, many of the Sukkim, because we don't have a base on Mikdash and we don't understand exactly all of the Yisaitis of Karbanis. But there is a lot of lessons and a lot of inspiration and a lot of very important Yisaitis in Sefer Vayikra as well. So don't, don't go off course now. Don't, uh, you know, get, don't get off at the service exit and say, okay, I'm going to wait till uh, maybe Bamidbar to be Mavri Sedra and to uh, understand the parashas. These parashas are very rich in Yisaitis, in foundational ideas that we live with. And today we're going to discuss uh, two ideas. Both of them are negeya to smelling, to aroma. So I'm going to call the shear my two cents, but it's going to be spelled S-C-E-N-T-S. Is that clever? Okay, so... There are two aromas in this parsha. One is a good aroma, and one is a very bad aroma. And we learn an amazing thing from both, and we're going to discuss that right now. The good aroma is found in Parak Bey's Pasagid Aleph, which is talking about the Ketiris. Now, we're familiar with the Ketiris because Ashkenazim say it every single Shabbos, at the end of davening Pitamak Tairas, Sardim, and maybe a lot of other people that have the, uh, that are saying their Kabbalah properly, uh, say it every single day by davening. And in fact, many Sardim even have a cloth that they say the Tairas from the Parshat Tairas. That's a very big hider in saying it from the cloth. It's a very misugal uh, for a lot of different important schoolists in life to say. Uh, the Pitamak Tairis from a cloth. The Pitamak Tairis was that every day they would, uh, they would take 11 different types of spices and they would chop them up, they would crush them and they would put them together and, that would, and then they would burn them and that would create a beautiful smell. The Pasuk says though, warns us, do not add sa'ar to this mix, don't add sourdough and don't add honey. Don't put a drop of honey either into this mix. Keep it exactly as is. Whatever the Torah describes to be put into this Ketairas, that's what you should put in. Do not add anything else. Do not add sourdough and do not add honey. And if you look in the Brisa of Pitamak Tairas, it says, You should know something. If, let's say, the Cayenne who's bringing the Ketairas would add to this recipe, he would add even a Kurt of Shaldivash, a little drop of honey, 
It would be so irresistible a smell that, as you would say in Yiddish, you could chalish from it. You would just faint. You would not be able to stand. It would be such an amazing addition to the Pitamak Tyres to add that little drop of honey. It would make all the difference in the world. And the Brysa continues, okay, so then Adarabba. Why not add that drop of honey? If it would be such an amazing addition, it would make the Kataras, it would take it to a whole new level of aroma. So then, Adraba, add it. The Taira says you can't. Uh, the Bryce says you can't. You know why? Because of Nesha Taira Amra. Because the Taira is the one that's prescribing this recipe. And what does the Taira say? You can't. You're not allowed to add honey to the mix. Yeah, if you would be able to, you know, make your own concoction and, and add something else to it, it would be gewaldic, it would be tremendous. You wouldn't be able to be to stand. People would be like, what is that? But you can't because the Taira says not to. So it's a very strange maso matin in this brisa. It's like, do you ever say... I don't, I don't remember ever coming across a Bryce that says, you know, Basar B'chalav. If, if the tire would have just said that Basar B'chalav is mutter, it would be so, you wouldn't be able to, it would be amazing to have a cheeseburger every day. But what can you do? The tire says you can't do that. I, don't, I never came across such a Bryce. I never came across a Bryce that says, Lashon Haraf, if you would just be able to speak a little Lashon every day, it would make it so great. Life would be perfect. You can't do it. Why? Because the Torah says don't speak. Obviously, the Torah says don't do it. It says don't do it. What's, the, what's, the, what's going on in this b'risa? You might, if you would add a kortosh advash, it would be irresistible, but you can't because the Torah says, ki what's going on in this b'risa? It's very strange. And I think that the pshat in this b'risa is that we find throughout history that there are many people and many movements that were started with this very notion that if I could only add something to the Torah, a court of Shaldavash, a little drop of honey, as it were, to the Torah, then Yiddishkeit would be absolutely perfect. It would be perfect. This is what conservative and reformed Jewry is built upon. They started scratching their heads. I'm not saying that, I don't know if they, the founders of them were, I'm not categorizing them as being good or bad. I don't know what if their notions were positive, whether they had good intentions or they were sinister. I'm not sure. I can't comment on because I don't know. It might be that they had very good intentions. They just were, they had no, and we'll see. But what did they say? This is, listen, membership is very down. The shuls are all empty. The synagogues, the temples, no one's coming anymore. Because they can't walk that far on Shabbos. They want to drive to shul on Shabbos. They want to be able to have an organ playing in the shul, just like the churches have an organ playing in their churches, Lahavdil. We want to have an organ and some music playing in our, in our shuls also. It's going to make it very geschmack. So that would be their drop of honey. And they maybe had good intentions. And, you know, if we could only do this, then Yiddishkeit would be perfect. So we have to write a new Shulchan Aruch, be matter, and this is exactly what they did. It sounds bizarre, right? But this is what they did. They made a brand new Shulchan Aruch, 
and they said, from now on, driving on Shabbos, not a problem. Having organs, playing organs in the shul, not a problem. Having your, your rabbi dress in, uh, in clothing of a, of, a, you know, of a preacher, not a problem. And doing many, many other new innovations to Yiddishkeit, that's not a problem, because this is going to make Yiddishkeit even better. What was wrong with their cheshven? There was one thing wrong with their cheshven. What was wrong with their cheshven is amra. Unfortunately for you, the Torah didn't say that you're allowed to do that. Yeah, if the if the Torah would say, "Go for it. You do whatever you want. You make Yiddishkeit as geshmak as you want, and and you have carte blanche, you know, to to do whatever you want in halacha, out of halacha. If you feel this is necessary." Okay, but the Torah didn't say that. The Torah says, Ki chal I don't want, this is not my Torah. What you're doing is distorting. It's not just distorting, it's, it's creating a Torah chadash. This is a brand new Torah that you're making. You can't do that. This is Yiddishkeit. This is Torah Misina. We have a Messiah, Midar Ladar, what we're allowed to do and what we're not allowed to do. If there is an allowance to be made for certain things, allow the Rabbanim that have a Messiah, Ishmi Pish, Darmi Dar, to come and say, This is fine, Lahalacha. There are many things like we, that we have in such a way that, that the Rabban came and said, A great example is Tyra Shabbat. The Tyra was uh, being forgotten. Imagine having to remember Mishnayis by heart, Gemara by heart, all the Mas. We can't even do it when we have Svarim. How are we going to do it without Svarim? It didn't, and people were forgetting Tyra. Comes along Rabida Nasi. Rabbeinu HaKadosh and says, we've got to do this. This is something we have to do. We have to write it down. And that's what he did. Now, how, what was this after to do it? Well, he was Rabbi Yudan Nasi. He had a pasuk, and he was able, with all of his kedusha, with all of his Torah, to be mechadesh, that this is acceptable. The Torah would countenance this change. It is a radical change, but the Torah would countenance this change. But you need to be Rabbi Dan Nasi to do that. You can't just say, you know, you can't just have some, you know, some rabbi come along and make changes on their own and say, this is fine, that's fine. That is adding your own honey to the Taira. So when the Brisa says that, yeah, adding honey would make, the, would make this Katairas mamish off the charts amazing, but you should know that you can't. Why? Because the Taira says, Ki that's the one problem that you're going to have with adding the honey, is that it's against the Taira. This is a binyan av to all things in Yiddishkeit. All things in Yiddishkeit don't make up your own religion. You can't add to the Taira unless the Rabbanon say that this is an addition, this is a takana, this is a siyag, this is something that we're going to have to do in order to make sure the Torah has a kiyam, that's acceptable. But just to start making up my own things, this is going to be good, I'm going to be matir this, and I'm going to be matir that, because this is going to make Yiddishkeit sweeter, or at least even personally, this is something that I could tolerate, and I'm not, right now I don't like the fact that Torah is you know, is very restrictive in this regard. So I'm going to ignore that halacha and I'm going I'm, I'm to, you know, start adopting my own minhagim, my own, my own hanhagas, and try to stip that into the Torah. That's unacceptable. That's adding your own drop of honey, but the Torah says you can't. And there's a great mushal. I heard once a story that there was a, a new hachnasah sefer Torah uh, they, were, they were writing a new Sefer Torah and in a little shtetl and it was a very big deal. 
a brand new Sefer Torah. They raised the money for it, and everybody was very excited. And to add to the excitement, let's say the 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 Sefer Torah is going to be complete. Let's say Shavuos time, Arab Shavuos is going to be a Nachal Sefer Torah. They made they made a contest that every woman whoever wants to join the contest could make uh, their own mantle for the Sefer Torah, the covering for the Sefer Torah, and whoever has the nicest mantle on, of Erev Shuas, they're going to have this chos of being the one to cover this new Sefer Torah, meaning we're going to use that mantle for the Sefer Torah. So there was, was very a lot of excitement in the air, and many women joined the contest, and they all were spending you know, the next couple of months designing their mantle and knitting their mantle and weaving it and crocheting it and, you know, and cutting it appropriately and making sure all the achanas were met, it was that day of the, of the actual and all the women laid out their mantles and it was a big deal and there were judges and they were looking at one mantle, another mantle, another mantle. Finally, they chose, this is the mantle, this is the Torah covering that one. And this woman was so happy. Baruch Hashem, she won and uh, it was great. So they did Hagba on the Sefer Torah, you know, they... As, as they do by Achnaz Sefer And then this woman's husband had the covet of, of putting the mantle on the Sefer So he puts it on the Sefer and there's one little problem. It was like a few inches too short. She didn't make it long enough. It was a beautiful mantle, it was just too short. So it was like he was like trying to tug it this way, that way, but it wasn't covering the Sefer That's not a mantle. The mantle has to cover the whole Sefer so the judge says, we're very sorry. We have to go to the second play, the silver, silver medal winner, because this doesn't fit. So the woman gets livid, this woman who won the contest, and she says, what do you mean it doesn't fit? Cut the Sefer Tyra. Cut the Sefer Tyra. Make this, take a razor and cut the whole Sefer Tyra on the top, on the bottom, and make it fit. I mean, it doesn't fit. My mantle won. I want the mantle to cover the Sefer Torah. Make, cut the Sefer Torah down to size. And this is a mushal of what many people do with the Torah. Many people do this. It doesn't fit. You can't have people drive to Shul. No problem. Cut the Torah. Don't cut me. Don't, I want to keep the, my, my business going. I want to keep my shul functional, so I don't want to change. I don't want to like concede to the orthodox. Cut my sefer Torah. Cut the sefer Torah. Cut the Torah. Make compromises with Shabbos. Make compromises with Taras Mishpacha. Make Taras with Tayeva issues. Make make compromise. Whatever it takes, but you have to keep my. It's me that's important. It's not the Torah. The Torah has to has to accommodate me. I don't have to accommodate the Torah comes along this parsha. You thought this parsha had nothing to offer us. This is the site of Torah. It would be great. You're right. It's an amazing idea. It's a great innovation. The problem is it's not the Torah. It's a, a massive distortion of what of everything the Torah stands for. And so you have to be able to bend yourself to accommodate the Torah's wishes and not the opposite, not have the Torah bend to accommodate your wishes. And this happens time and time again. People, and they have good intentions. People don't have bad intentions. Generally speaking, people want to do good. But they just feel that there has to be a way to do this. 
there's a very sad issue with agunas. Agunas, there are you know, women that, uh, that their husbands do not want to give them a get, and they literally are chained. That's what aguna means. They're a chained woman. They live years, maybe the rest of their life, without being able to remarry because they have a husband who's a real you know, Russia, and he doesn't want to give his wife a get, and he's holding it against her. He, he could lock him up in jail. He could do anything you want with him, and he will not give his wife. He's a recalcitrant husband. He does not want to give his wife a get, and because of that, and it's a very big crisis. It is a terrible thing. And women are going to rabbis and saying, you got to do something. you got to change the laws. you got to make sure that he gives a get, or you could undo the whole Kedushim Mafreya. Work, work your magic, but do something, because it's a crisis. And it is a crisis. The problem is that sometimes you don't have a solution. If G'dayli Yisrael had a solution to it, trust me, they would come up with a solution. If they don't have a solution, that means that they don't have a solution. It's a problem. Tyra is not a fairy tale. Sometimes there's real life problems, you know, with when you're when you're dealing with halachas. You just can't budge certain things. As much as the rabbanim are looking desperately to try to find a way to be matir, that court of Sheldavash, but they feel they can't, they can't. So what do you want? You want them to, to throw away the whole Tyra because because there's a problem? You can't. Unfortunately, you can't. But this is what the Tyra is. The Tyra is the Tyra. The Tyra is immutable. And this is what the Tyra expects. You have a personal issue, you have a personal um, you know, desire for a certain type of... Uh, you, you can't. Many people have Tyvas. People have Tyvas for a lot of things. The Tyra says you can't. Would it be great if you could? Maybe, but you can't. So you have to acclimate yourself to the Tyra. The Tyra doesn't have, have to acclimate. It can't. It's not, it's not designed to acclimate itself to every, every whim and every will. That's the say number one in the Tyra, in this parasha. One scent. The beautiful scent of Devash, but we have to be very careful that we don't always try to put our Devash into the Tyra. And as we see it, because Kiatayra Amra, because the Tyra says you can't. That's one important side. Scent number two is as follows. This is a very bad scent. A very like foul odor. Pun intended. Because there is a Pasuk in Parak Aleph Pasuk Yazayin, came out at the beginning of the parasha, by a carbon Ayla Sa'if. Certain times a poor man has to bring an Ayla for an Ayf. Uh, 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 they bring a bird because they can't afford an animal. If you could afford an animal, you bring a whole animal. Very expensive. An Ani can't afford a whole animal, a poor person. So he brings an Ayla Sa'if. If he has to bring an Ayla, he brings an Ayla Sa'if. And the Pasuk says, Vishisa Isa, you have to split it, Bichnafav, with the wings, with the feathers, you split it up, and then you throw it on the Mizbeach and you burn it all intact. All the, all the pieces of the bird with the wings and with the feathers have to be, you don't pluck the feathers out, you don't throw the wings in the garbage, you take the, all the pieces of the bird and you put it on the Mizbeach. After it's split, keep it all on and you burn that. That's the Pasuk. And Rashi says something amazing. If you had taken an experiment, let's say you'd find a, a dead bird all right, with all of its feathers and its wings and everything, 
And let's say we start a little bonfire here, and we throw it in and smell that smell of the whole bird burning with the wings, with the feathers. It would be disgusting. Just like we said about Tavash, you wouldn't be able to stand here either because not in a good way, you would polish in a bad way. You would, it would, it's detestable, that smell. It's the worst odor of the world, in the world. Similar to that price. So why does the Torah say to be makter it? If it's, so vi- if it's so bad, the smell, why does the Torah say to do it? And the, and the Rashi says, So that the, the Mizbech should be satisfied and glorified with the carbon, the offering of an ani, a poor man's offering is so gishmak in the Torah's world, in the Torah's ideology, that the Ani was able to scrape together the few pennies that he had in order to bring this car, to buy the bird, to bring the bird. It's so mahudr in the eyes of the Mizbeach, in the eyes of the Rabbanisham, that it's worth it. You should bring this bird with every part of it and put the whole thing on the Mizbeach. Let him feel like everything went on, nothing was wasted, and this is how the Mizbeach gets satisfaction, Rabbi said. So Rabbi Ruchim Levavitz, the Meshkiach of the Mir, Yeshiva in Poland, the great Tzaddik, the great Balmusser, he explains as follows, that there is a tremendous Yisai to be taken from this Rashi, from this Pasuk. And that is that normally, listen to this, it's very, very important. Normally, who does a person like hanging out with? Who does a person like rubbing elbows with? The rich. You ever go to a, a shtibal? I remember growing up as a kid, there was a shtibal, and there was like a few wealthy gavirim, and they always smelled so good. Very, you know, they had like that cologne on, like you, you know, you shake their hand, they're like, ah, you know, the whole Friday night you kept on smelling your hand. Well, that, this guy is like, you know, he's guy, he's shtal, this is good. Rich people have a certain, like very wealthy people, there's a certain, there's a certain, there's a certain odor, aroma that they have, like they just smell rich. And it's geschmack, people like being around those people, like you feel like important just in there by being around them. He says their clothing are always beautiful to see and they have a very white shirt and a tie and, and, uh, and they smell nice. Contrast that with being around a niyim. Being near a, per- a person that's poor and his, tor- his clothing are torn, his clothing are worn out. And there's dirt on them. There's schmutz on there. There's coffee over here, and there's a Danish over here, and there's a pizza over here. They're not clean. They're not neat. They're not tidy. They smell. They reek. Nobody wants to be around them. Nobody wants to be near an ani. Just to stand in their vicinity, says Rebbe is torture. And kol shikain, to mamish smell them and smell them again. But Hashem is telling us in this Pasuk that you thought had no significance to you because it's in Sefer Yikra. Torah is telling us, says Rebbe a very important Yisait, that just like the Mizbeach 
not only tolerates the smell of the Ani's bird, which is an extension of the Ani himself, but it enjoys it. It's saveya. It, take, it, it gets a geschmack out of being in the presence of the Ani with the terrible smell that he has. But there's something beautiful about the Ani. There's something, he's a yid. And you have to be makar of him and you have to bring him near, even though the smell is sometimes unbearable. He hasn't taken a shower for so long. And it's impossible to be in his... you just like, nafshay katsa, you're, you're like, I can't. Says of Yeruchim, the Torah is telling you that you have to. And you have to accept him. And you have to give him covered. V'gam yeshivenu etzlai b'roi sholchanai kishchinas k'vayde yisparach itai. Because Hashem is with this person. Hashem loves this person. Hashem knows the tzaras that he's going through. He understands him. He chooses to be mashra in this ani. He says you should put him there for yashivenu b'roi You should put him on the dais. Don't put all those rich guys with the big checkbooks on the dais. Put some poor people on the dais. They are the ones that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is machshiv. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says what she says you should split the bird and put everything on because the Torah is machshiv the ani and the smell of the ani you might not like the smell but it's chashuv. HaKadosh Baruch Hu it's chashuv and you have to make him chashuv too. There's a great Talmud Chacham by the name of Remendel Kaplan. Remendel Kaplan was Rashiva in Skokie. And he was a Rashiva in Philadelphia, Yeshiva in Philly. Today, you know, Philadelphia, Yeshiva, at Rebellious Feyes, Rashiva, and Yibadol Chaim, Shmuel Kamenetsky, a very, like, a, like, one of the best Yeshivas in the country. And one of the rabbi and one of the Rashi Yeshiva was Reb Mendel Kaplan. He was a guy in He was a Talmud Reb before the war. He learned B'chavrusa with Reb Chanan's son. He was a genius. Not only was he a genius, but he was also a brilliant man. He was very observant. He had these observations about cars and about human psychology. And he was a tzaddik. And there's a whole book written about him by arts girl called Reb Mendel and His Wisdom. It's highly, highly recommended reading if you're going home for Yantav and you want to you know, you want to read something very, very fascinating, it would be on the recommended book list. But in addition to his brilliance in learning and his pikchas, his chachma, he was also a great tzaddik. And every single Shabbos, and many times during the week as well, he would invite to his table, who do we like inviting to our table? We like inviting... You know, chashuva people, people that are either big tamidachachamim, or people that are doctors, people that are lawyers, people that are businessmen, people that are, you know, our, in our, our, our circle. Reb Mendel used to invite, like, homeless people. He would take people that literally smelled, they hadn't showered, they had dirty clothing, but they were Jews nonetheless, and he would bring them, invite them, be nice to them, sit them at the table, sit them at the head of his table, serve them himself individually. And this is what he would do. This was his practice. One day, Remendel's daughter approaches him, and with all due respect, she said to him as follows. She said, Tati, I love you. And I know 
that you're the tzaddik hadar. I know that nobody touches you in terms of achnas azarachim and sitkos, besides for all your other amazing qualities. But Tati, I'm begging you, please stop inviting these people to the Shabbos sale because I can't stand it. You could be a tzaddik, it's on date. So when I go, you know, when I get married, you can invite. I can't, I can't eat my cholent. I can't swallow my challah. I can't, I can't be at the table with them. So would you do me a favor? Just please, Laman Hashem, just stop inviting them. Sir Mendel looks at her and he says, My dear daughter, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. But here's my cheshben. My cheshben is that we do a lot of Averis ourselves. And Averis is spiritual filth, spiritual grime. And we might not be able to smell each other's foul odors in this world. But after 120 years, we're going to go up to Shemayim and HaKadosh Baruch is going to say, what is that? Get this person away. I can't stand the smell. I can't smell, stand all the Lashonara that I smell off of this person. All the Rechilas. All the Malbam Pnei Chaver Barabim. All the Dvar Betelim. All the lack of Shmir Seinayim. All the Kabbalah Lashonara. All of the, the, the Nazi heroes in every mitzvah. I can't get this guy away from me. It stinks. He says, I don't want that. And I don't want it for me and I don't want it for you. And so my plan is, my strategy is, my hope is, that if I'm able to tolerate the smell of these aniyim, then midah kineg and midah, someday HaKadosh Baruch is going to be able to tolerate my smell. When Rabbi Elia Svei, the Rashiva of Philadelphia, was alive, and I guess it was after Mendel was nifter, Every Ne'il I heard, he used to say this. He would say this one Misa about Remendel Kaplan. And he would tie it in, of course, with Ne'ila, Yom Kippur, how we have to like really clean ourselves up and do tshuva and make sure that we're taking our spiritual shower right now in Ne'ila to be matar ourselves in the mikvah of the Rabbi Nishon because we don't want to come up to the Shamayim smelling and being and reeking of Averis. I want to tell you one more Misa. This Misa took place by my Afruf. We're going back many years, and my parents made me a beautiful Afruf in, uh, in Long Beach, where I grew up. And it was in the summer, it was in July, and Cater pulled out all the stops. I remember they, there was like a like a cold fruit soup with hearts in it and a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. My friends were there and family and, and it was a very nice Shabbos. And there were different tables at the Simcha, at the, at the affair. So I was sitting with my friends on one table and then my parents and their friends and the Mechutanim and people in the community. So by the offer of by the day meal, the Shabbos day meal, 
um, sitting, everybody was singing smears, everything was going well. And all of a sudden there was a, a poor man that walks into the door. I remember he had red hair, had a red beard, he had like torn clothing, like a homeless person, basically a homeless person. I don't know where he was, I never saw him before, I never saw him after. He's clearly Jewish. And he was just standing there. So my mother, who should live and be well, and she's a world-class sadekas, she really is, she approached him, and they had a conversation. I don't know exactly what was spoken between them, but the next thing I know, my mother is walking this person to my table, there happened to have been a seat, you know, open, right next to me, and she, with all the covet in the world, as if this was like the biggest, you know, gevir, or the biggest rav, or the biggest hamachacham, you know, she gives him so much covet, she says, this is the chasen, it's my son, and you're going to sit right here, right here next to him. hard to describe to you the, the look on this person's face. This person is a homeless person, probably kicked around, you know, the police are probably kicking him off of the benches on the boardwalk a block away from the shul, and he's sleeping under the boardwalk, and maybe he's sleeping in some, I don't know, some homeless shelter one night, another place another night never given a square meal, never given a scintilla of covet in his life, maybe. And here he's sitting all of a sudden, as Rabbi Rucham said, my mother never learned this, Rabbi Rucham, sitting at the head table right next to the chasen. And he's enjoying, he eats the challah, and he has the soup with the hearts in it. And he has, uh, he has the chicken, he has the chulun, he has, he's mamish in seventh heaven. I must say that I wasn't so happy at the time, at, the fir- at first, because he smelled terribly. And, you know, it's my afraf, I have one Shabbos to shine as a chassan, and, you know, my friends were there, and it was a little bit at first tough, but I was misgaber. And I included him in the conversation, and we were talking together, and my friends were talking to him, and he was into it. And we benched, and that was the end of the story. And I've always said this, that Baruch Hashem, I was zeichet to a lot of brachas in my life. I was zeichet to have a wonderful wife, beautiful, healthy children, as I could to get this shalar and have amazing talmidim like yourselves, and many other brachas. And I solely attribute everything that I have to that one meal. That at the launch of my chasna, at the launch of my married life, at the next chapter of my life, I was zeicha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us an opportunity, and we could have punted, my mother could have, I think most people either would say, you know, I'm sorry, this is a private affair, 
or maybe if they were really tzaddikim, they would find a, a back room and have the caterer, have a waiter bring out something and have them eat elsewhere. But to be meshev and ani, with his odor, with the shechina being shayr on him, at the head of the table, next to the chassan, and allow him to feel good for a few minutes or for a few hours of his life, there's no greater bracha that could accrue to any chassan in the world as that one opportunity that we didn't blow. And this is another takeaway from the parsha. V'shisa Isa b'chnafav. You take the entire bird and you burn it, even though the smell is absolutely revolting. But this is where the Rabbi Shalom tells us is the svia. This is the satisfaction that you're going to get out of life. This is where you'll feel good. And it might not always be in the form of an ani. Sometimes it's in the form of a person who's down on his luck. There are people, there are tzaddikim that work in Camp Hask every summer or they work in Camp Simcha and they work with special children, special needs children, children that are not easy whatsoever to, 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 to work with. It's not, they're not going to sleepaway camps, fancy sleepaway camps and dealing with Gishmaka kids from you know, good homes and everything being perfect and the biggest problem is that, that sometimes they're homesick at night. These are children boys and girls with tremendously difficult physical challenges and they have to be walked and they have to be cleaned and they have to be taken care of in many ways that I don't even know and given the right medication every day at the right time and being put to sleep and being put in a wheelchair and out of a wheelchair into a van and out of a van and in a swimming pool and out of, I don't know how people do this but this is where the Abishter is. The Abishter is with the people that are misfortunate. And these are tests for us. Anim are tests for us. Misfortunate cases are tests for us. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to shun them? Are you going to look away from them? Or are you going to do something amazing for them? Are you going to embrace them? Vishisa Isa Bichnaf of the Pasik says. You take the bird and in its entirety, you might not like the smell, you might think it's revolting to you, but Akrishbahu could not disagree with you more. He sees beauty in every single person. He smells the aroma, the reachni chayach of these aniyim. And if you're able to, then you're able to tap into the Shrina himself. We have opportunities every day to find aniyim, to find nitzrachim, to find people that need us and to help them in whatever way we can, in whatever form it takes, whatever you feel you're able to. But this is what our mission in life is, to help the unfortunate, not to only hang out with the rich and famous and the cool and the, and the socially popular and the socially in. Sometimes there are people that they're not anim and they're not physically challenged, but they're socially challenged. Sometimes there are people that are socially off, as they call them. And they're not exactly the cool, but they're, 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 they're amazing, beautiful people. Just get to know them. Be friends with them. They're great. That's where HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants us 
to focus and wants us to change our sense of smell to, well, the cologne that we thought was beautiful, I don't think that that's so beautiful. And the smell of the physical issues and the emotional issues of people, there I'm attracted, I'm drawn to that because I know that this is what I'm here for. I'm here to help others. It goes without saying, Rabbi Say, that if you're ever in a situation that an ani comes to you, comes knocking on your door, he comes over to you in shul, or maybe it's on a street corner in, in Yerushalayim, and he asks you for money, give him the money if you have it. But if you don't have it, don't be mevazahim. Do not be mevazim. If you're mevazim, you're not a Talmud. Don't be mevazim. So many times I go into shuls and I don't understand what religion they're a part of, but people scream at Aniyim, go get a job. What are you doing here? Go, you know, what, what are you, you know, you know, your able body, go and do this and go and do that and don't, don't come into, you're disturbing my Shemanes, you're disturbing my Chazar Sashat, you're disturbing What? What are you doing to this person? He wasn't broken enough before he came into the room? Before he knocked, you think it was pleasant for him to knock on your door to ring your doorbell? Think this is his, his dream job? Think he's living the dream by going around person to person with a credit card machine and, a, and, a, and his hand outstretched to you? He's not. He needs it. Now, is every single person legitimate? I have no idea. Maybe 10% of people, 1% of you, no people, I don't know. It's possible that the, the dollar that you're so generously giving is going to a person that is really very wealthy. I'm sure a lot of you know, billionaires are going around schnarring from person to person and sure, that probably sounds very logical to you. And if you're wrong and sometimes you give a dollar to a yid and he doesn't deserve it, no, so you lost a dollar, you lost twenty, you lost a thousand dollars. So because of that, you're going to treat every ani with suspicion? There are aniyim that mamish need money. They need, they need to feel human. And if you can't help them, that's okay. If you don't have the money, that's okay. But don't be mevazahim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Shechina is on top of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is waiting to see how we deal with these people. Do we pass the test or do we not pass the test? Do we understand that the Mizbeach is Saveya Umahodr from the Karbane, from the Eif of the Ani or not? Never, if I ever catch anybody that's Mibaza and Ani, you should know that I have nothing to do with you anymore. I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm Rechnitz, I'm giving millions of dollars away to Tzedakah, I'm not. I try my best to give what I can, maybe I should do more than, than that. But I try to always at least respect every Ani. Give them the time of day. You don't have to open the door. If you're not in the mood, if there's something going on in the house and it's craziness and you're taking a shower, you don't have to open the door. But if you open the door, be nice. If an Ani comes into the base matters, he comes into your shul, he comes, be nice to the person. The person is suffering. Be nice to the person. Don't be mavazim. If you don't have the money, say, I don't have the money but I want to give you a bracha that you should be gebench. And that daughter that you're collecting money for a chasna, you know, should have a beautiful chasna. Or that your son that's autistic or your son that has, a, you know, ha- had a nervous breakdown, he should have a refuah shleim bekarev. And that your, you know, your, your wife who's, uh, who, who gave birth to this, and you should have, a, everything should go well for you. Give him a smile, give him your heart. But don't be mevazen ani. 
Don't run away from him because he smells, because he's your brother. And he needs something from you. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is watching. What are you going to do for him? You have to be Meshiva Bereshul Chane in the in the immortal words of Rabbi Rucham, put him at the head of your table. Don't throw him in the back of the bus. He did that enough already. He tried that enough. He's been sitting there his whole life. Give him an opportunity to shine. Put him at the top of the bus. Put him at the front. Put him at the head of your table. Like my mother did. Like Remendel Kaplan did. That's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants. And if you do that, the brachas that you will have in your life are innumerable. You will never be able to count the brachas that you'll have because you'll be so blessed for passing these tests of how you're dealing with the poor, with the unfortunate, with the misfortunate, with people that are underserved, with under, uh, people that never had a nice day in their life. Make a nice day for them. Make a kishmak for them. Give them a nice summer. Give them a nice meal. Give them a nice Shabbos. Give them a nice hug. Give them a nice sh- handshake. That's our mission in life. This is what Sefer Vayikra affords us, the ability to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu's perspective. In the Devash, in the one sense of don't add to the Torah because the Torah is doing fine without you. The Torah was here before you existed and the Torah will be after. Don't change anything about the Torah. Don't change a Kutza Shal Yud. Don't add your own honey to the Torah. The Torah is sweet, thank you very much, without you. And the second you cite is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's perspective on Aniyim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's perspective on the people that smell. And how he finds satisfaction in that. And he wants to help them and he wants to make them beautiful again. And that's our mission in life, to beautify Aniyim, to beautify everybody that needs it, anyone that you meet, every day. Give them a smile, give them a hug, give them an embrace, give them some pride in themselves, make them feel good. This is what Vayikra is all about. This is our Vayikra, this is our calling from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And hopefully, Amir Hashem, whenever we're called to do the right thing, we will always be able to answer the call. Have a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos.